Bag of Coins, a brother's grim style fairy tale. There was once a man who toiled long and hard in the fields. He spent many hours in back-breaking labour with little rest. Gradually, he earned a modest number of gold coins. He kept those gold coins in a small bag. Whilst his fellow workers would spend their wages right away, he preferred to save. He turned his nose up at their invitations to join them at the local tavern. Fools, he said to himself, as he caressed the bag of coins. Whilst they blow their money on idle frivolities, I am wisely saving for the coming winter. Then he was overcome with panic. These coins are not safe in my modest dwelling. I should deposit them in the bank at the nearby city, where they will be kept under lock and key. The next morning he set out on the road. As he passed through a darkened wood, he was suddenly accosted by masked horsemen, brandishing swords and pistols. The bag of coins was seized, and he was left with nothing. The man collapsed into misery. I am ruined, all my hours of back-breaking toil wasted. Just then, a magic goblin appeared from behind a tree. Do not despair, said the goblin. I will get back your bag of coins, and many more besides. You will, said the man. I will give you all the riches you desire, but in return, I shall reappear in twelve years' time and claim that which is most precious to you. The man agreed and thanked the goblin over and over. Now, just reach into your pocket, said the goblin. The man did as he was told and pulled out an even bigger bag of coins. The goblin vanished in a puff of smoke. The man reached into his pocket and pulled out yet another bag. He was now very wealthy indeed. Soon after, he married a beautiful woman and lived a life of luxury. One day, Twelve years later, the man and his wife took a leisurely stroll on a warm summer's evening. Suddenly, a kindly old lady appeared before them. You are very handsome, said the old lady. Your wife is very beautiful, and you have a great many riches. Tell me, of which of these are you most grateful? 
it's true I have been blessed many times over, said the man, but the greatest of all my blessings must be my beautiful wife. In a puff of smoke, the old lady was transformed into the magic goblin from all those years ago. Aha, exclaimed the goblin, now what you have promised must be fulfilled. I shall take that which is most precious to you, your beautiful wife. The man objected as strongly as he could, but his wife said if the promise was made, she would sacrifice herself to uphold the bargain. The goblin took the wife back to his dark and dingy lair, where she was forced to clean, prepare food, and sleep on the hard stone floor. She was often whipped for not obeying his orders. For each of my brutal commands you disobey, you shall be thusly beaten and beaten thusly, he tells her. The wife quickly grew tired of his cruelty. I have been very disobedient indeed, she said to the goblin, bowing down her head. I pray you will forgive me. Bring me a chalice of wine, commanded the goblin from his seat, and after you deliver it, kneel down and kiss my hand. Slowly, the wife brought the chalice, but as she approached, instead of delivering the wine, she threw it all over the goblin. He was furious and reached for the whip. The wife laughed hysterically. Many miles away, the man now wandered the countryside in a state of anguish. He was lost and alone. Again and again, he asked many strangers, creatures, and even the trees of the forest if he had seen the goblin and his wife to no avail. Suddenly, he came across a giant crow, 100 times the size of a normal bird. Its left wing was trapped in a barn door. Frantically, it flapped, trying to free itself. You there, cried the crow, free me and I shall do anything you wish. Back in the lair, the goblin brandished his axe at the wife as he chased her back and forth. The whip is no longer an effective means of punishment, he cried. For each time you disobey, I will chop off a finger, and then a hand, and then an arm, and then a leg. The goblin cornered the wife and raised his axe. Just then, the giant crow burst through the roof with the man riding on its back. The crow gobbled up the goblin, and the man and wife were reunited at last and lived a long and happy life together for many years to come.
where you will see hamsters of different colours and species that you may have never seen before in pet shops. With access to some of the country's top breeders and experienced keepers of all species of hamster, we also provide advice on hamster care, welfare and the feeding of hamsters. All species of hamster may be fed as above, but dwarf hamsters, Russian, Chinese, etc., will appreciate the smaller type of seed, millet, budgie seed, foreign finch seed in addition. Citrus fruits should never be given to a hamster. A very special treat would be a raisin or a sultana. These are greatly enjoyed, as is lettuce. Much lettuce is not good for a hamster. The Southern Hamster Club presents an open show under National Hamster Council rules on Saturday 21st of March. Entry for humans is free, so do come along and find out about hamster care and showing. bearded man, described by many as devilishly handsome, has just forgotten his hand. He scanned it and paid for it, but has somehow set it down outside his bag. He's walked away and left the store blissfully unaware of his hamless status. 10.31 a.m. The skinny 16-year-old, once called kind of cute, but never ever devilishly handsome, is next in line to check out and has watched the bearded man leave sans ham. For a second, he considers doing the right thing and yelling, Oi, mister, your ham, you've left your ham. But he's a big fan of ham himself and money's tight, so he pays for his pepperami and vimto, tucks the forgotten pork into his bag and scurries out of the store. 10.37 a.m. The two beefy lads, seen by some as dark and mysterious and actually sort of interesting, almost philosophical once you get to know them, have been sitting outside their flat all morning. When they spot the 16-year-old approaching, they exchange a quick look and an almost imperceptible nod, jump up, knock him to the ground, deposit various and assorted kicks and punches into his feeble bodice, snatch his bag of treaties and take off running. As they flee, the bag snags itself on a wayward tree branch, producing a ham-sized hole in the bottom. They round a corner at the top of a hill, and the ham slips out, unbeknownst to them, and rolls out of sight. 10.45 a.m. The black cat, classified by at least one young child as cheeky, makes its morning rounds through Royal Terrace Gardens. It stops in its tracks when it notices a discarded, unopened package of ham nestled among the flowers. The cat pounces, grabs the ham gingerly in its mouth, and settles in under its favorite bench. The packaging is thick and strong, and despite its best efforts, it's done no more than make a few puncture marks 
when a homeless man plops down on the bench and shoes it away. 10.53 a.m., the homeless man, considered a bit of the eccentric genius type in his early days, then really quite mad, and now in desperate need of sectioning, can't believe his luck in rescuing this ham from the clutches of that cat. He examines it thoroughly. It's unopened. It's not past its sell-by date. If he's not mistaken, it almost feels like it still holds the chill of refrigeration about it. He's got half a loaf of stale bread and some bits of moldy cheese in his bag. This ham will elevate his sad lunch to a veritable feast. He bows his head and raises the ham into the sky. He's offering up his humble thanks to the heavens with special appreciation to the gods of Gammon when suddenly his hands are empty. He opens his eyes in time to see a large bird flying away, ham gripped firmly in its claws. 10.56 a.m., the bearded man, still handsome, has started preparing his lunch, but somehow the ham he knows he bought just 30 minutes earlier is nowhere to be found. He's taken everything out of his small fridge and put it back inside, twice, no ham. He's looked in the bathroom and under his duvet, even though it makes no sense for the ham to be any of those places. He's just about given up when he hears a thud outside the kitchen window. 10.57 a.m., the bird, known around these parts for his seductive call and shiny feathers, but also a bit dim if you really want to know, has been flying with the ham in his claws for several minutes and has grown tired. Should he drop it? He'd really rather have some nuts and seeds if he's being perfectly honest with himself. Out of the corner of his eye, he notices a window ledge a few feet below, and could it be, yes, it's covered in seeds. That's more like it, he thinks, and swoops down. He drops the ham on the ledge and dives into the seeds. 10.58 a.m. The bearded man, handsome, even when clearly irritated, goes to the window and opens it. What's this? Surely not. He picks up the ham and looks it over. Same brand. This is his ham. It's knackered and the seam has busted open, but all the ham is present and accounted for. He hesitates for a moment and storms to the bin. God damn that ham, he yells as he slams it down into the rubbish. My jeans yearn to be wrapped around yours. The strength of your hands, the precision of your mind, may pass it to our son. 
this letter your mood will noticeably rise and therefore we will be pleased with this result. We were able to solve the problem that people have when searching for partners with whom I want to be close. The site created by us takes into account all the subtleties of the inner world of a person and is a universal platform for new acquaintances and the search for partners. During the search each person will be able to find a suitable option. No racism, no gender separation, no class superiority. The motto of our site, everyone has the right to be happy. Our main activity is educational, so we do not charge for registration. Join a multi-million group of people who are planning to find friends and partners in their interests. Loneliness and boredom destroys us. And inspiration and euphoria charges us with vital energy. By clicking on the promotional code, you yourself will know about it. Thanks. Connections keep tripping me up. New tab, right click, no fee platforms, web fads, sign up quick. Demographic profiling creep and slick. Silicon Valley sanctioned rubric. Flash red, flash white, sucking up the blue light. Me, mad stream, cracked mirror, screen, play, pause, repeat. I'm the product and I'm green. Meanwhile, Fat cat monopolies quaff metadata canapes. Digitized, wafer thin, stats and dreams. Compressed, digested, mass surveillance by machines. It's here, the internet of things. My appliances are allied apt to chip. Paranoia's brewing in each cup of herbal. Low on chai and the tea drones messaging my doorbell. 
smart showers head and toasters bread. Know what I want before I've even said. Then there's the crapper logging each deposit. It ships back stool diagnostics. Me stocked up on bog roll and feminine hygiene products and reminds me when I'm due to bleed. Botnet. Am I a netizen or an obedient commodity? Intuition, bow down, lobotomy, be the system. Spied on by a laptop microphone. My heart beats in my smartphone, love the system. Capitalism's malware in me down. The whole earth is a huge brain. All thoughts catalogued, no escape. Delete, repeat, but what's deletion these days? Undercover, firewire. Fireflies hover, hacked synapses, listen. Bioweb, nanotech, symbiotic guts, heart and head. New speed, pixelated screens like that, hate this, touch scenes. Vision versus venom, shake it out. Is it too late to take it out? Ventricles unplugged, caress my shadow on the wall. My circuits are bored of autonomous VR lovers, but out in the real world, I forgot how to connect with others. Smart sensors measure and predict. My privacy is my currency, but who's at the controls and who's choking on that stick? Not me. Hook the mainframe back into my redundant clouded brain. I don't want to be free, I want to be happy. But I, being poor, have only my means. I have spread my means under your feet. Tread softly, because you tread on my means. Focusing stillness, a beginning distinct. A centered instinct, present in rapture, a light eternal, the dreamed eternal, Klaus Weiss.
Chicken Run is different from Toy Story in that the Oedipal falls away to the point of reference in favor of the Gramscian structure of counter-hegemony engineered by organic chicken intellectuals. Jack Halberstam. Chicken Run is different from Toy Story in that the Oedipal falls away as a point of reference in favor of the Gramscian structure of counter-hegemony engineered by organic chicken intellectuals. I crave all the pleasures of the flesh. I turn paper into flesh. Memory is both everywhere and nowhere in particular. Memory is both everywhere and nowhere in particular. Memes are both everywhere and nowhere in particular. Do you have a sense of moral purpose? have a sense of moral purpose? Do you have a sense of moral purpose? Britain faces a simple and inescapable choice. Stability and strong government with me, or chaos emeralds with eggs in the bed. Contemplating you is like slipping into a warm bath, naked. Contemplating you is like slipping into a warm bath, naked. She vapes sea shapes by the seashore. The shapes she vapes are sea shapes for sure. She vapes in raisin shapes, no mistake, until the orator dictates that those sure shapes were deceased and late grapes shriveled sand shrouded, murdered upon the shore. She vapes sea shapes by the seashore. The shapes she vapes are sea shapes for sure. She vapes in raisin shapes, no mistake, until the orator dictates that those sure shapes were deceased and late grapes, shriveled, sand shrouded, murdered upon the shore. Brutus, 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 Orange Brutus, 
the Brute Burger, the Chicken Brutus, 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 Brutus. Good night. eye to the camera, pulled focus and pressed record. It was a Canon EOS C100 Mark II, bulky and expensive. He was filming a baptism. It was a freelance job. The ceremony was in a local church and the after party was in the community hall next door. The family was huge. There were dozens of children running about and twice as many adults. A buffet was laid out and a cheap sound system was blasting out some pop classics. Scott wandered the hall, shooting tiny snippets as he went. I'm ready for my close-up now, laughed one lady. Careful, he might break the camera, said a man as he grabbed his friend. Scott had heard these jokes literally hundreds of times. They just came with the territory. He'd laugh and smile politely, occasionally making a comment back if he felt like it. The children stuffed their faces with cake, sweets and chocolate. Now they were high on E-numbers, charging around and screeching. Most of them he didn't mind, except for one boy, one single child. Scott's first thought upon seeing him was that he was a, quote, little prick. The boy had a bowl haircut and snot permanently dripping from both nostrils. He looked to be around 10 years old. Scott took an instant disliking to him. He could just tell the boy was no good. The boy stood by two seated young girls. Scott sensed that they were trying to ignore him, even as he thrust his unwanted opinions upon them. Remember when we used to say gooch all the time, the boy sniggered, until we learnt what it meant, though I still sometimes say it. Gooch. The two girls visibly cringed and then began clapping their hands together, playing patter cake, to help drown out the sound of his voice. Scott watched as the boy went over to a middle-aged woman who was conversing with other adults. Can I lick your gooch? he asked. The adults were horrified. That's a horrible thing to say. Apologise immediately, said the woman. The boy laughed. Apologise right now or we're going home, she screamed. The boy reluctantly mumbled an apology. Scott shook his head. 
truly he was a rotten child. Scott knelt down to grab a quick shot of two toddlers waving tiny flags and jumping up and down. Suddenly, a hand grabbed his shoulder. You making a porno? cackled a voice. Scott turned around to see it was one of the drunken uncles. He had a haggard face, like a piece of old leather. Scott tried to laugh politely, but was too busy processing the hideous implications of this joke. So instead, he stared blankly. The uncle staggered off. It was only a matter of time before the boy took an interest in Scott. Scott was outside in the car park, on his knees, putting his camera on a tripod when the boy approached. Can I have a go? asked the boy. No, said Scott firmly. Will this be on Netflix? No, replied Scott. He was becoming irritated. How much did that cost? said the boy, gesturing to his camera. A lot, snapped Scott. He rotated the camera around to capture a big game of tick that several kids were playing. You're a pervert, said the boy. Scott was livid. He looked around to see if any adults were within earshot. Fuck off, he quickly snapped, trying to keep his voice low. What? screeched the boy. What did you say? Scott checked again that no other adults were around. I said fuck off, you weirdo, Scott replied. It felt satisfying. You'll pay for this, cried the boy. Go away, said Scott. I will have my revenge, said the boy, extremely earnestly. Scott laughed, the boy ran off. Several minutes later, Scott had a beautiful shot lined up. In the foreground, some children were playing, and in the background, the mother was holding the baby whilst talking to a couple. The whole moment had a warm, sunlit glow. It was perfect. Out of the corner of his eye, Scott saw the boy. He was crouching down low, watching Scott closely. Scott ignored him and focused on the shot and how much the parents would love it. They might even want to pay more than the agreed price after seeing it, he thought. It was that good. Suddenly, out of nowhere, there was a loud thud. Something hit the camera. The sheer force threw Scott backwards onto the ground. The camera and tripod fell on top of him. He let out a yelp of pain, then sat up, disorientated, with no idea what had just happened. He looked at the camera. The lens was smashed, shattered into tiny pieces. The camera screen was blank. Panicking, he tried to switch it back on, but it wouldn't respond. It was dead. On the ground, he saw a large rock. Then he heard the boy nearby, cackling with glee. I told you I would have my revenge, the boy exclaimed, victoriously holding up a fist. Scott stood to his feet. He frantically tried to turn the camera on again, but no luck. It's ruined, mumbled Scott. That'll teach you, said the boy, smugly. Scott turned to look at him. The snot was still dripping from both nostrils, and there was chocolate smudged onto his cheeks. The boy had a look in his eyes of sheer delight and mischief. Suddenly Scott was overcome by a blind rage and fury, with an intensity he had never before felt in his life. It consumed him entirely. He clenched his fist and punched the boy directly in the face, and, for a brief moment, it felt very good. Time slowed down as his fist made contact with the boy's face. His cheeks reverberated and rippled from the impact, as if in slow motion. The boy fell to the ground and immediately began crying uncontrollably. Scott came to his senses. 
Some adults were walking over to the scene. He panicked. What had he done? If he'd done nothing, the boy would have been severely told off, and the family would likely have offered to pay for all the damage and repair. But since he had punched a child in the face, a child less than half his age, it probably lost the moral high ground. It would not look good. Scott quickly grabbed his camera and tripod and fled to his car. He tossed them on the back seat and drove away as fast as he could. He turned around to check if anyone was in pursuit. A few of the adults were chasing after him, signalling for him to stop. He sped up, but it was a busy road. He couldn't get above 22 miles per hour. They were still running after him. He kept looking back instead of forwards as he drove. They were getting closer. He put his foot down without checking the windscreen. Suddenly, he felt a painful thud and blacked out. Scott came too. He was deeply confused. His head was throbbing and there was blood running down his face. It appeared his car had gone off the road and struck a large tree. The front of the car was mangled and warped around the base of a giant oak. He glanced down and saw there was blood on top of the steering wheel, where his forehead had made direct impact. He wasn't wearing his seatbelt either. In the rush of the panic, he forgot to put it on. And he realised people were knocking on the windows, trying to see if he was okay. They were the adults from the party, and several strangers too. Scott tried to reply, but he didn't have the energy. The throbbing of his head intensified, and he felt weak and woozy. His eyes were closing. Just before they shut and he passed out again, the last thing he saw was the boy, standing in front of the car, pointing and laughing. It had not been a good day. Everything your boss asks with no pushback. 
Will you work late? Yes. Will you come in on Saturday? Yes. Will you also do this other person's job for no extra pay? Yes. You're passive-aggressive. A boiling torrent of rage. With nowhere to direct it, but within. A hideous mass of self-loathing. A tired, lonely reactionary. Desperate for human connections and a sense of purpose. So what is to be done with a wretched creature such as yourself? I'm tired of you. Stand up, right now. Take off your clothes, all of them. Now stand before the mirror, naked. Look at yourself and say, Who am I? What am I? What is my life's purpose? Then turn and run outside, right outside. Run down the six flights of stairs and out the door. Your neighbor sees you. They look confused. They shout at you. Ignore them. Keep running. You run past busy traffic, past groups of people out for the evening. Everyone is laughing at you. Let them laugh. They don't understand. Someone's called the police. Don't stop. Keep running. Someone tries to tackle you, but you're too fast. You're unstoppable now. A police car is following you. You run off the road and onto a field. An officer starts pursuing you on foot. You're running over muddy, wet grass. They chase you into the woods. You feel wet. You find a big, thick branch on the ground. You pick it up. A police officer approaches. They're trying to calm you. Don't fall for it. They get closer. You swing at them and smack them on the head. They go down. You smack again, and again, and again. Blood is drawn. They won't get back up. You turn and run. Adrenaline is coursing through your veins. You come over a hill and see a fully grown deer. It looks you directly in the eye, sees the demented look on your face and the bloody branch in your hand. It knows you're not to be messed with. It bows its head and leaves, ceding the forest ground to you. You raise your hands in the air. You have won. You have arrived. You have never felt so alive.